why in the world would a church have a car show? Well, we like cars. We like the old cars when they used to make them the way they ought to be made. And we're reaching people. And we know that a bunch of men will come out to a car show that won't come into church. So we admit an ulterior motive. And uh, so we, we believe we're, you know, you, you catch fish with many different kinds of bait. So if we don't catch them, something's going to catch them. So we're going to catch them with a car show. We're going to have a lot of fun. Now, how many of you believe that God still does miracles? You believe God does miracles? Well, next Sunday is our miracle Sunday, and here's what it is. We're $180,000 shy of finishing upstairs. We have raised so far $410,000, rounded off, debt-free. And so we have one hundred eighty to go, and then we're done with phase one. And phase one is going to get us up there. I have such an anticipation about that upstairs. Now, it may not move you or crank your chain or get you excited. The next video might a little bit, because some of you have never still been up there. You ought to go up there and just look at what's happening. But we're going to have a brand new youth room, five new classrooms, a new audio video production room from which we're going to reach the world. And we are reaching the world. Do you know that uh, at 9.30 our time, we were on in every state in the union teaching the Word of God, every one of them. And uh, we're, we're reaching people. We're reaching people every day. I did a wedding yesterday, and um, weddings are always great. I mean, I don't care how many I do. When that bride comes down the aisle, it's anointed. Well, she didn't come down an aisle. She came, we were at a, at a golf course clubhouse. And we were on the patio, a wooden patio. So that's where we did it. And we we beat the rain. It was sprinkling on my way there. It stopped. As soon as they said, I do, it started again. So it was very close. But I went up into the clubhouse afterwards. And this man comes running up to me, all excited. He says, has anybody ever told you, you sound exactly like Jeff Wickwire? And I said... And I said, uh, you know, he says, you know, that guy on the radio, have you ever heard him? Well, so I connect the dots. He has no clue. I'm going to play this. So I said, yeah, I've heard him. I said, why do you like the show? Now, I know I took a risk because he could have said, well, you know, it's really kind of bad, but it's all I've got. He could have said that. But he gave us a huge compliment. He said, because they've stayed with the word of God. That's what he said. Now, let me tell you what I did. So I said, I better kill this right now before he really does say something. So I borrowed from Jesus and I said, I who speak to you am he. And he goes, no way. And he runs and gets his wife and we met and he said, we listen every day. So folks, we're re-, and he was a good Baptist man, goes to a Baptist church. And he said, he said, I know a lot of people that listen and We listen every single day. It's a lifeline for us. So our church is reaching people all the time. And we need upstairs to really accelerate this. So watch this video, and I'll come right back. This is where I developed my passion for media. And this is where my cup is refilled. And this This is where I meet my best friend. And this is where I learned to worship my creator. This is where I preach my first message. This is where I'm welcomed home. This is where we reach the world. This is where I worship. Spirit burn. Spirit burn, yeah. Spirit burn. Spirit burn, oh.
Amen. And that's the handiwork of Tyler Tritton back there. Now, you know, we, we have, amen. Amen. And uh, we have so many talented people. Uh, a lot of them are never recognized because they're behind you. But I want you to give the sound booth and everybody in it a hand of appreciation. And, seriously. They do a great, great job. And, uh, you know, um, a lot of you may not be aware, but Valerie C. is my executive assistant, and she is my right arm. I'll tell you, I couldn't do it without her. I want you to let Valerie know she's appreciated. Amen. Amen. Now, so we're believing for Miracle Sunday, next Sunday. I'm asking you, when you go to get that pizza, don't do it. Lay the money aside. You can, you, you can, um, don't go out to eat once or twice. It is whatever God tells you to do. Kathy and I are going to give to where we really feel it. We feel it. We have a budget, and we're going to give where we feel it. We call it the ouch factor. How many of you ever worked out with weights? Okay, you know, and, and, and especially if you have a trainer who you always grow to dislike. Because they're always riding you to, to get you one more rep, one more time. But when that trainer says, come on, one more rep, one more rep, and you're pushing with all of your might, it's not a bad kind of pain. You're pushing the muscles so that they become stronger. And I think that we can give that way. It's an ouch factor. It, it's ouch, but it's not a bad ouch. It's a good ouch. We're stretching. So let me just show you a quick verse. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide. Now, here's God's word to us at Turning Point. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure or manipulation or false promises. That's, I, I added that. That drives me nuts. I've called Christian TV shows and said, you're just lying to the people. Send in your money and your runaway child is going to come home. The good news is you don't have to buy a blessing. You don't. You really don't. But God does bless and love a cheerful giver. Now look, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Do you believe that? All right, I want us to stand together, and we're going to pray over Miracle Sunday. And we're going to believe that when we take up that building fund offering next week, that God really helps carry us over the top and we're able to head for the finish line. Do you believe that God can do that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a giving church family, a growing church family, a blessed church family. We pray that today, Lord, you will speak to our hearts what we're to do on Miracle Sunday. Now pray with me, church, and say, thank you, Lord, for what I have. I give this tithe and offering today. In Jesus' name, may somebody be saved because I gave. Amen. Now, while you're standing, how many of you are thankful for those who gave their lives so we could be free today? Free. I'll tell you. And I, I tell you what, I am a hugely and unapologetically patriotic. And it drives me nuts when I see the military dissed or disrespected. Because we are free to talk, free to worship, free to gather like this because of the blood of people who gave their lives. It's Memorial Day weekend. So we're going to show you a video as you give. And may this uh, speak to you and bless you. Amen. Oh, beautiful spacious skies for amber waves of green for purple mountains majesty above the
sing it with me. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains through the prairies through the oceans, wide with stand together for the reading of the word and I want to pray for our country Lord forgive us for taking for granted the freedom and forgive us Lord for removing your word from our schools and public square forgive us Lord for attacking the righteous and persecuting those that stand for you forgive us for calling right wrong and wrong right and good bad and bad good forgive us Lord for the slaughter of millions of unborn children Forgive us, Lord, for walking away from you in so many ways and forgetting the rock from which we were hewn. And we pray that by your sheer mercy and amazing grace, you might have mercy and grace on America again. And breathe your spirit of life across this land, a spirit of repentance, a great turning to God, And we ask you to do it in this dark hour. Shine, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we come to you with your word today, and we pray that you will bless us with it. Lift our hearts with it, encourage us, give us wisdom, insight, knowledge, and understanding, that we may walk wisely in your ways and be healed. You sent your word and healed them, Lord. I pray you send your word and heal us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe the Lord, 
hears prayer for our country. Give him a hand of praise. Amen. Now, we've been talking about wilderness experiences because we go through wilderness experiences. And we need to understand that it's part and parcel of uh, the Christian life. It's not something you ought to be going through all the time. You ought not always be in a wilderness, but we do experience wildernesses. And we've covered several in the last few weeks. And I'm going to talk today about one that, boy, we've really walked through personally, and that's the wilderness of betrayal. There's not a person in this room that hasn't experienced the sting of betrayal somewhere along the way. Some of you are bleeding inside today because you've been betrayed. You've been wronged. Somebody did you dirty. Somebody you didn't expect. And so we want to just read three passages out of the Bible about three different people that experienced uh, betrayal. And then I'm going to focus on Joseph. But let's read Numbers 12, verse 1. And here it is, Numbers 12, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, go quickly to Genesis and take a right, and you'll be there quickly. Numbers 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron talked against Moses behind his back because of the Cushite wolf, uh, wife. <laughs> wolf. It's been a long week for me. <laughs> no wonder they criticize him if he married a Cushite wolf. But no, a wife. Now, the deal was is this was a dark-skinned woman. And Moses' siblings... Aaron and Miriam criticized him for it. And it shows you whose side God was on real quick because Miriam was made leprous for attacking their brother. But the idea is it was a betrayal. Now, Luke 22, verse 48. And Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? We call that the Judas kiss. Genesis 37, 28. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelite slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. Joseph in the Bible is a type of Christ. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus sold for 30 pieces. All three were betrayed. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you're coming through to the other side. You're coming through to the other side. Now, in, in these three verses, we have three Bible luminaries, all of whom experienced betrayal, bitter betrayal, tough betrayal. Moses, betrayed by Miriam and Aaron. They broke ranks and attacked him when all of Israel had been attacking them, but at least he always had um, Aaron and Miriam. But now they're attacking him, and they betrayed his trust. And then, of course, Jesus, betrayed by a man who he had loved walked with, taught, who had been there to see all of his miracles, who he had poured his heart out to, Judas Iscariot. And Judas betrayed him, of all things, with a kiss. He told the Roman soldiers, the one that I go up and kiss, that's the one you arrest. And so Jesus, full of pathos, says to Judas, do you betray me, really, with a kiss? That's the idea. And then, of course, Joseph Nobody was betrayed like now Joseph in the sense that as many times. He was betrayed not once, not twice, but repeatedly, several times. And so I'm going to talk more about Joseph in just a moment. Uh, I love that story. I can't ever read the story of Joseph from stem to stern without weeping at the end of the story, no matter how many times I've read it. It's such a moving account of God's sovereign operation in the life of a man. But now, we have been talking for the last few weeks about wildernesses. We've talked about the wilderness of want, the wilderness of loneliness, and the wilderness of trouble last week. Talked about trouble. But today, the wilderness experience of betrayal. Let me remind you of what a wilderness is. A wilderness is essentially those times in our life when we feel dry, we feel like God's a million miles away. Though he's not, it feels that way. And we feel very dry. It's a dry time we're passing through. And suddenly our faith seems to be getting tested from every side. It seems like all that's around us is testing. And that beautiful mountaintop experience of blessing and just sort of cruising on grace doesn't seem to be there. But suddenly 
its shadows and difficulties and challenges and attack and dryness and betrayals. Betrayals. Wilderness experiences were very common to people in the Old and New Testaments. You can't read either covenant and not find people who are experiencing a wilderness time, dry time, difficult time. Um, Peter encouraged the Christians. This is one of my favorite passages. Peter said, my friends, don't be surprised at the painful things that you are now suffering, which are testing your faith. Don't think that something strange is happening to you. It's not weird. that This is not something you should be shielded from. You're not in a bubble because you're a Christian. But you should be happy that you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. You will be happy and full of joy when Christ shows his glory, when you pass through this thing and a breakthrough comes and you're to the other side, you're going to experience joy and the glory of God because he's the one that's going to get you through it. Amen. Amen. Now, today I want to talk to you about that wilderness of betrayal. Nothing, in my humble opinion, nothing stings shocks, casts us into a wilderness place like betrayal. There's nothing quite like betrayal. A trusted loved one that you just knew was, that loved you and was with you and standing by you suddenly turns on you and you discover they've betrayed you, they've stabbed you in the back, and it, it is a hot dagger that goes all the way through your soul to the other side. That person you place your total trust in has delivered a Judas kiss to you, Betrayed your confidence, talk behind your back. You discover that they weren't really with you at all, but they took you for granted, and, and, and you feel like you feel like a fool. You say to yourself, How in the world did I ever believe in them? How, how, how was I so easily tricked? How didn't I see it? Where was my discernment? How didn't I catch it? How could I have been so stupidly blind, so trusting, so lacking in just catching on to somebody's character? And so you beat yourself up over it and it wounds you. And, and the natural inclination is to pull inside and withdraw and say this to yourself. You make a covenant with yourself and it's a dangerous covenant. Here's the covenant you make. You say, never again. Never again will I love Never again will I trust. Never again will I be involved in a local church. I may go and sit in the sidelines and sit in the periphery and sit in the back. I'm not pointing to those of you in the back. I'm just saying, you're peripheral and you say to yourself, it's a covenant you make with yourself. I will never put my heart on the chopping block again. I will never be somebody's fool again. And you know what? That covenant can come back to bite you because our God will always say, trust again, love again, do it again, because you can trust me, though you may not always be able to trust people. You can trust me. So we can never let what someone else does to us sideline us and deter us from the will of God. In Shakespeare's famous play called Julius Caesar, the moment arrives when a number of assassins have attacked Caesar. And while they're stabbing Caesar to death, he sees amongst them his dear friend and protege, Marcus Brutus. And he falls dying to the ground and utters these words that have now become famous, et tu, Brute, that's Latin, et tu, Brute, meaning you too, Brutus? You, my friend, my protege, the one I trusted, the one I poured into, the one I've loved, the one that I ate with, the one that I went to the house of God with, you, you're the one, you're involved in this, you've betrayed me. Et tu, Brute, has become a common word, a common phrase, all the way into our day, for the betrayal by an unexpected person like a friend. If you've been betrayed by somebody today, if you have, uh, you know it. It's stinging. If you've been abandoned by your family, many have. I've spoken to people recently who were abandoned by their family. Are you a victim of false accusations of some kind or another? Somebody's lied about you, told a story about you, slandered you, and it's a betrayal? I doubt that there's hardly anybody here today that hasn't been betrayed 
either in the past or you're experiencing the hurt and the pain of it right now, this is real. This is something that if we don't get through it, we won't get over it, around it, or under it. We've got to go through it. The only way through a valley is through the valley. That's the only way to get to the other side is to go through it. So the question is, not have you been betrayed, but how do you navigate the stormy waters of betrayal to continue your spiritual journey unfettered, unhindered, continue your pursuit of God without being sidelined by that pain of betrayal? Because there are people who are not in church today, and I'm just talking about in general, nationwide, worldwide, who are hurt in church, hurt by a person, betrayed by a believer, betrayed by a spouse, betrayed by a friend, and they have withdrawn from life and withdrawn into the shadows because they made that covenant, not me, not ever again. I will not do it again. And I'm here to preach you out of that if you're in that. Because, listen, we serve the one who said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And not only does he raise us from the dead one day out of the grave, but he also raises us up out of inner pain and wounding. Nobody in the Bible gives us the answer to how to navigate betrayal like Joseph, not anybody. I want you to consider the betrayal that Joseph, the patriarch Joseph, experienced. Watch this. As a teenager, he was the victim of resentment, hatred, and bitter rejection by his own family. His own family ostracized him and, and, and rejected him openly, his brothers. The Bible says when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. He was later, get this, kidnapped by his own brothers and thrown into a deep, dark, narrow, claustrophobic well. Listen, this is a horrible experience. Sometimes we've got to use our sanctified imagination. They dug wells in those days. They didn't have machines. They were narrow wells that went all the way down where they finally tapped water. And the Bible says this about that well. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his coat of many colors, and they took him and threw him into the abandoned well. The well was empty. There was no water in it. They dropped him down into a narrow well where you couldn't move your arms all the way out. They dropped him down there, and they left him there. As a matter of fact, they walked a few yards away and opened up a sack lunch and began just eating and fellowshipping while little bro was down in the well. Betrayal. But it didn't stop there. He was sold as a slave by those same brothers to the Ishmaelite slave traders. It says in Genesis 37, 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the well. Now you know what he was thinking. Oh, praise God, they're pulling me up and this joke is over. But no, it was no joke. They pulled him up out of the well and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now there's a double whammy here. Not only sold him to slavery, but his brothers sold him for a cheap 20 pieces of silver. That's all this little guy is worth to us. Take him. Betrayal. Joseph is in the back of this slave caravan being carried away. He's shackled because the Bible tells us in Psalms they shackled him. The Bible says they shackled him. So he's being carried away in the slave caravan and behind him, looking at him, the cold, stark, expressionless, angry countenance of his brothers. See ya. Betrayal. And then when he gets to Egypt, he's sold as a slave again. Put on the slave block twice. He's sold to an Egyptian named Potiphar. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So he goes into Pharaoh's house. And then the Bible says that Joseph was a good-looking man. The Bible says that Potiphar's wife cast her eyes on him, tried to seduce him sexually day by day by day. He resisted till finally... She said, you don't reject me and get away with it. So she lied about him. And the Bible says, when his master, her husband, heard the story, and a story indeed, it was a made-up story, his wife told him, this is how your slave treated me. He turned, he, he burned with anger and, and, and had Joseph thrown into prison for something he did not do. He was there, are you ready? He was there for years on a false charge. 
Well, he's down there, and two of Pharaoh's servants get thrown down there, chief baker, the chief butler. Joseph sees their sad countenance. Joseph is trusting God. You sense that his spirit is up. He's not in there uh, playing a violin about how life is treating him wrongly. He, he has enough uh, of, of the grace of God on him to focus on somebody else's need. So he goes up to the butler and the baker, and he says, what's the matter with you guys? Well, we've been thrown down here, and, and, and so essentially Joseph helped them. And when they got delivered out of prison, he said, now don't forget me. Please remember me when you go before Pharaoh. But the Bible says they forgot Joseph. Betrayed, 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 betrayed. Hated, betrayed, lied about, forgotten. This is the first half of Joseph's life. Not a great beginning. If this was a book, this would be a rough book, the first half. But God was writing his book. God was writing his book. The psalmist tells us God sent Joseph to Egypt. Can everybody say sovereignty? Can you say with me, God's in charge? Even when it looks like he's not? What I notice is amazing about Joseph. He didn't withdraw into a cave of self-pity. He didn't go find a group of whiners to throw whining parties with. He didn't let these things destroy his life or even more amazingly, his faith. His faith was not destroyed by these things. Because I learned a long time ago, the devil's not out to make something go bump in the night or give you a flat tire. The devil is out for your faith. If he can get your faith, will you finally say, I don't believe in God anymore, his goodness anymore, his protection anymore, and you walk away. That's what he was after. And you think he doesn't use betrayal to try to get into our life and affect us that way? If the devil can't defeat you, he'll defeat somebody whose defeat defeats you. Remember that. If he can't get at you, he'll get at somebody close to you. And maybe that somebody close to you betrays you. And the devil knows if I can get to them, I'll get to him because they love them. Amen. That's right. Now we know that he more than conquered betrayal by what he named his two children. Let me just look at this real quickly. I love what he named his kids. It says, it says in Genesis 41, 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, meaning to forget. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Now he's not saying God gave me amnesia. I can't remember my brothers. I can't remember my daddy. He said, the sting is gone. The pain is gone. I don't live in the world of rewind. I'm not constantly hitting playback in the theater of my mind. I'm not constantly looking at what was done to me. God has taken the sting away. I am free from what was done to me. When I think of my brothers, I don't feel like running and throwing up. Or I'm not filled with rage. But I can think about them and I'm fine because my God has made me forget. He has taken away the pain. I love that. So he calls his little boy to him, come here, forgetful, come here, sit on daddy's lap. Daddy, why did you call me forgetful? I called you forgetful because God healed my memories from what was done to me. Well, that's good stuff. I'm going to get this CD. I'm going to listen to this on the way down the road. Now, here's the, here's the second child. The name of the second one he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You know what he's saying there? In the very place where Satan tried to destroy me, my God prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Right where the devil tried to take me down and take me out. When he went for my jugular and was going for my faith and wanted to wipe me out and ruin my destiny, my God caused me to prosper and succeed and bear fruit right there. Right there. You know, life is like a chess game, and you got the devil moving pieces and God moving pieces, and sometimes it looks like the devil moves the pieces. Uh-oh, it looks like the devil is winning the game. But listen, our God, my God, your God, the God of the Bible, is always the one that says, checkmate. Always. Always. That's why the Bible says God always causes us to triumph in Jesus Christ. 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. If God be for us, who can be against us? No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment you will condemn, for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and our righteousness is of him, says the Lord. Amen. So come here, forgetful. Come here, fruitful. Sit on daddy's lap. I named you those names because of what God did in my life. Amen. So God made him forget the sting of betrayal. And God caused him to be fruitful. Right where the enemy had tried to destroy him. Now, when I study Joseph's life, there's two keys. And I'm going to just give you two simple keys that Joseph had a grip on, that he had a hold of, that he understood, that carried him through betrayal to the other side where he became second only to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. And he avoided becoming an angry, bitter, cynical old man, mad at God, mad at the world, mad at life. Now, I don't know about you, But I don't want to end that way. I want to end with a skip in my step and a smile on my face and with joy in my heart and a song on my lips. I want to go out praising God. I don't want to be bitter and angry. I want to be joyful and I want to be anointed and I want to be powerful in God when I go. So here's the first key. Say with me, he embraced God's grace. He embraced God's grace. This is so important. See, anytime we're hurt, when betrayal comes or anything that is adversarial in our life, when that happens, the the invisible hand of the grace of God is always extended to help us. It's that silver lining of grace. It's amazing grace. It is predictable grace. It is loyal grace. It is God's grace. And what is grace? Grace gives you the desire to do and the power to do God's will. Back to the exercising analogy. I've done this. I've I've worked out um, at times in my life. Now I cycle, but I did work out for a while. You get on that bench press, and you you push. You're pushing a certain amount of weight. Now, you reach a point, you're going to do 10 reps, but you get to about seven. And man, your arms are shaking. You say, I can't. There's no way I'm going to pull 10. And then somebody comes up behind you called a spotter. And the spotter puts his fingers on that bar and he says, come on, you can do it. And he helps you do what you could never have done on your own. Grace is a spotter. And, uh, and, and and you say, I, I can't forgive. There's no way. Look what they did to me. And, and grace comes and says, come on. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And our job is to respond to the grace. Joseph shows us that no matter what you're going through, there will always be the silver lining of grace. It's there. When you're sick, it's there. When you're defeated, it's there. When you have failed, it's there. When you're struggling with temptation, it's there. When you've been betrayed, it's there. When you're in trouble, it's there. The grace of God. That's why we love amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Even our salvation begins with the spotter. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and that keeps a wretch like me. Now, here's the deal. When we refuse to respond to the grace of God, we almost always fall to bitterness. The Bible says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive. I want you to look at that verse on the screen. That we fail to receive, notice it, the grace of God. So that means I can respond to the grace or I can fail to receive it. Watch, he says, that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You know, I've noticed something pastoring many years now. Many Christians are much more adept at carrying an offense than they are carrying the cross. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I am. I intend to do it. I like that, yeah. Hey, you know, we're not, 
I've preached in some churches, it was God's frozen chosen. You wouldn't get an amen if you went and slapped him in the face. But here we're alive. Okay. See, we so easily carry that offense. Well, they did this to me, they did that to me. I'm going to carry this, and I'm going to gather people around me who will help me carry it. And we carry those offenses instead of carrying the cross. If you carry the cross, you will always respond to the grace. You will embrace the grace and forgive. The power to do and the desire to do the will of God. And it's always God's will when we're betrayed to forgive. Kathy and I have experienced the valley of betrayal in serious ways in our past. And we had to forgive sometimes 20, 30 times a day, but we knew, listen, somebody is waiting on the other side of our obedience. And now I'm looking at them. Right here. And so we said, we can either embrace the grace and forgive and move on, or we can fall into bitterness. And I know what happens to bitter people. They are miserable. They never have any joy. There is no laughter. All the zing is taken out of life. You might as well be dead than be bitter. Bitterness will sap you dry. Bitterness will ruin your life. Bitterness will take all that was meant to be lived and enjoyed and ruin it and wreck it and sabotage it. Bitterness is a trap. And grace comes as a spotter. Forgive, come on, you can do it. Just say it, I forgive. Oh, I don't think they deserve it. No, they don't deserve it, but you didn't deserve it either. So forgive. And you forgive. Because yeah, they betrayed you, but we betrayed God. Did we not? And isn't Jesus good that he came and forgave us every time we betrayed him and wronged him and sinned against him? Now, here's the good thing. When Joseph embraced the grace, I want you to look at what happened. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. And it says, Potiphar noticed the favor and blessing on his life and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Oh, there's a blessing when you embrace the grace. There's a blessing when you embrace the grace. And so Potiphar ended up putting him in charge of everything over his whole household. And then when Joseph was thrown into prison, it was his same MO. He did the same thing. I believe in the hand of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe my God is with me, though all men are against me. As a matter of fact, here's the lesson we learned from Joseph. Life's not fair, but God is good. Life's not fair. If you think when you got saved that all the unfairnesses of life are going to go away, let me pop your bubble real quick and tell you that sometimes you have more trouble because you got saved because now the devil's after you. But here's the deal. Life's not fair. People will betray you. Things won't go your way. You may have letdowns, setbacks, discouragements, disillusionments, but God is good and he reveals his goodness by his grace. Grace is extended. So can we say together, life's not fair. But God is good. I think we ought to shout that at the devil. Let's try it one more time. Life's not fair. But God is good. Give the Lord a hand of praise. I'm telling you. Yes. God doesn't always change negatives. I wish he did, but if he changed all the negatives I wanted him to, I'd never grow because I'd never be pushing weight that was hard for me to push, and I'd never get to know the spotter. Now, here's the second key. Joseph stayed focused on the bigger picture. Oh, this is so important. He embraced the grace, but he also kept his eyes on the bigger picture. Now, I wrote a book called The Windshield is Bigger Than a Rearview Mirror. It came from a saying that went like this. There's a reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. Here's why. Because driving a car, you've got to look out that windshield or you're going to wreck. If you drive according to the rearview mirror, you're going to wreck. The rearview mirror was made for occasional glances, not for constant gaze. Sometimes I need that rearview mirror to avoid trouble 
but primarily I drive looking through the windshield and it's that way with life. Joseph said, I'm not going to live life in the rearview mirror. I'm not going to constantly replay the faces of my brothers as I was carried away. I'm not going to constantly replay that lying woman who lied about me and had me sent into prison. By the way, I've always wondered, what happened to Mrs. Potiphar when Joseph got promoted? I think she went into hiding. But keeping his eye on the bigger picture is how he kept his sanity. He remembered the dreams that God had given him. Now, you've got to remember, in Joseph's day, there was no Bible. Moses hadn't come. So there wasn't even Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, not even the Pentateuch. Nothing. There was no Bible. So God spoke to people in dreams. And he gave Joseph two dreams. And in both dreams, he saw himself in a place of great authority and prominence. And he twice showed his family in subservience to him. Being a little guy, young guy, not having any wisdom, he went and told his brothers part of the reason he ended up in a well. Some things you need to keep quiet. Don't cast your pearls before swine. So God gave him a dream. Now, you think he didn't lean on that dream, those dreams, when he was going through all these betrayals? You better know that he did. He leaned on those dreams, remembered those dreams, recalled those dreams. Instead of recalling the betrayals, he recalled the dreams, the promise, the destiny, the call. He kept his eyes on what God had said he was going to do with him and through him, not on what people did to him. You know what I've learned? God ministers many things in the early days of our walk to prepare us for what's coming. We don't know what's coming, but he does. You think the Lord didn't know what was coming for Joseph, the betrayals, the lies, the slavery, and the prison? You think he, Of course he knew. So he said, I'm going to give you two dreams that are going to be written on the walls of your soul like a branding iron, and you're going to remember these dreams when you're in the tough time. It's going to help you keep your eye on your destiny and not the betrayals. When I was young in the Lord, still a teenager, I had dreams. God spoke to me about my future. God showed me that I had a destiny. And I had powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God that were indelibly branded onto my heart. And how many times have I looked back on those and said, you know what, I remember the destiny, I remember the call, I remember the purpose, I remember the reason for which he laid his hand on me, I remember what he told me, so I'm going to focus on that and keep my head above water by remembering what God told me he was going to do. I'm going to remember the bigger picture. The bigger picture is not what they did to you. The bigger picture is God's plan, his purpose. There is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. And we are to be in that river, flowing in that river in his divine plan of salvation. We're a part of a master plan that God hatched before the foundation of the world. And so we got to remember that. Sometimes to get one thing out of your mind, you got to kick it out by thinking something else. So he remembered his destiny. You know the rest of the story. Pharaoh had two disturbing dreams. Joseph, the dreamer, interpreted them perfectly. And in a single day, the rejected, hated, lied about, slandered, and forgotten Joseph was hauled from the pit of prison to the pinnacle of success and proclaimed second only to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. And when Joseph rode through the street, you had to get on your knees and bow down. Like I said, where was Mrs. Potiphar? <laughs> you know how I know he was free? Because he didn't hire a hit squad to go get his brothers when he got promoted, because he could have done it. Here's what he told them. Shaking, trembling, mortified, and terrified, his brothers said, are you going to hurt us? He said, no, no, no. Because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. 
Isn't that beautiful? To save many people alive. And the ultimate plan for Joseph was it kept the holy seed from being wiped out in a famine. So based on what Joseph was used of God to do, the future Messiah and his lineage was saved. Can we stand together?